It's Sports Bazaar. I'm going to kick back and enjoy this. Some of these stories, you would say, that cannot be true. The hunt for the weirdest. It's a real rollercoaster ride, this one, isn't it? <laughs> it makes Game of Thrones look like a sitcom. <laughs> Strangers. Hang on. She's on another level. What are you doing? <laughs> a lot of our stories that start with someone fleeing moneylenders. Most unbelievable. This is a car crash. <laughs> stories to ever occur. We'll stop this right now. <laughs> it's just carnage. That is the densest bit of mayhem. So many subplots <laughs> in this story. In the world of sport. I think we're learning that embarrassment is not something. Sports bizarre. A naked fan ran onto the field and slid into second base. <laughs> no, I don't drink water. I cannot stand drinking water. I am the president of everybody. I am the president of the whole FIFA. <laughs> Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. It's really simple. Get there early, get the good back. It's Titus <laughs> O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome back to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar, the third in our James Hunt expose. I'm sad to think this is all coming to an end because it's been a wild journey to date. Where we left it, he was undergoing divorce and agreed to divorce. Sadly, Burton had stolen his wife away, which he was thrilled. He was driving with McLaren, of course. Just joined, yeah. After the demise of Heskoth. Racing, and uh, here we go. We're about to embark on, is it fair to call this the final chapter well, of his career? Well, it is, but this is the high point. Titus O'Reilly, by the way, and of course, <laughs> my good self, Mick Roy. I'm overexcited. This 1976, he has, some people say this is the greatest F1 season of all time, and it's even been made into a movie. Ron Howard did the movie Rush, yep. and in it, Nicky Lauder was played by Daniel Brühl, and Chris Hemsworth played James Hunt. And that okay. gives you an idea what Hunt is like, you know. That's who you imagine. Movie star, the role, yeah. heart, you know, heartthrob. Thor. Right? <laughs> Thor is <laughs> playing James Hunt. So Nicky Lauder, who is great friends with James, great rivals but really good friends, is the movie sort of hints they're bigger, there's more antagonistic nature to it than there was. They were actually really good friends. They were hamming it up for the movie. A little bit, yeah. Nicky Lauder is racing for Ferrari. Hemsworth is racing for McLaren. So it's seen as this sort of, you know, real battle of two very sure. different teams. And they are really uh, all season going at it. And there is this drama and all sorts of things happening. So for a start, Nicky Lauder starts off winning the first two races. Yep. James comes back. He wins in Spain. But then that, and it becomes important later, he's disqualified for a technical infringement. The car is seen as slightly too wide. So this is taken off him and given to Nicky. So this is like a... Retrospectively. You know, retro, well, at the time, it's instantly appealed oh, and okay. that's what happens. Um, Nicky wins in Belgium and Monaco. James then wins in France. Both men are quite ill when they race in France for different reasons. <laughs> Nicky Lauder's suffering from a bout of flu while James was ill as well from eating too much foie gras at dinner on the Friday night. <laughs> He's taken a turn. <laughs> so it didn't make him feel well. Okay. James wins the next race in Britain, then after France, and he was asked what winning the 1976 British Grand Prix was like. Yes. He replied while on TV, nine points, 20 grand, and a lot of happiness before taking a cigarette off someone in the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Correct answer. It's just a different world, you know. Like imagine someone did that now, they'd be cancelled. These days they don't even cut away. It was announced afterwards too that on technicality that that win was taken off him. 
There was some You're issues with the me. cars, and that goes Nicky. So, so how many having, has he got? Nicky Ladder is well in the lead at this point. He's sure. up by about 47 points, and it's getting out of touch for James. But at the same time, James is arguing, well, some of those Grand Prix I reckon I won, they were minor technicalities and yeah. we were being punished, right? So there's a bit of argument, not between Nicky and him, but, you know, there's, yeah. there's some argument Between there the that it should be tighter. But anyway, they then go to the German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, and this is a real problem at this race in that it's a huge, long, windy track. It's still famous. Top Gear yes. often showed sure. it for a long time. But there's long stretches where you can go off the road and no one would even have noticed. Take a long time for emergency crews to even get to yes. you because it's in a heavily forested, it's mountainous a forest, area. It's a forest. They routinely get airborne. So at this point uh, in this race, Nicky Lauder has this uh, – it's a famous crash. He crashes. His car – catches fire. It takes yep. a long time for anyone to get there. The drivers drag him out, but he's incredibly badly burnt. Yep. He's flown to a special burns hospital in Germany. A team of six doctors and 35 nurses have to tend to him round the clock. His injuries are first to third degree burns on his head and wrists, several broken ribs and a broken collarbone and cheekbone. Even more serious was his the poisonous fumes and toxic gases from the Ferrari's plastic bodywork, the fuel and from the fire extinguisher powder have just completely damaged his windpipe and his lungs. They're like burnt as well. Yes. They're scorched inside. The buildup of fluid in his lungs is life-threatening. They tell his wife, um, who'd never left his side during the time, that there was nothing more they could do for him. Okay. He's on watch and they think he's not going to make it. So much they think he's not going to make it. On the third day, a priest is brought into the room and starts to give him the last rites. Nicky's wavering in out of consciousness, but he understood what the priest is doing. Yeah. The priest is giving him his last rites. He believes that they've all given up on him. But he just keeps himself alive. And according to the doctors, they say it's just sheer willpower. Nicky just lay there and just went, I'm not dying. By the fourth day, he's declared out of danger. So the day before he's getting his last rites, by the fourth day, they think, oh, we think he's actually going to make it. Incredible. The medical profession is marveling at this guy. Yeah. But he's so horribly burnt on his face, hands everywhere. Um, he says, my wife fainted when she first saw me, so I knew it was not good. So he's okay. burnt everywhere. Yeah. Now, as he gets older, he has to do all these um, skin grafts for his face um, to make him basically presentable. That's sure. how badly burnt. He had to get his eyelids completely rebuilt with plastic surgery. But he decides not to get everything covered up. I'm not vain. I don't care. Yeah. You know, so... Um, he wears a cap often to hide it, yep. but for this point, he says he doesn't even make an attempt to replace the missing half of his right ear, and he actually says it makes it easier to talk on the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> so this is sort of this Incredible guy is just an amazing guy. Yeah, amazing. he says of his scars that he's got to this day. He says many people are ugly. At least I have a reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. He is out and so this is seen as a time and James Hunt's a great mate of him and James telegrams him, he says, an insulting message knowing it will fire Nicky up yes. and get him up and about because they're great mates. Yes. But James, it enables him to start to chip away at Lauder's 47-point lead in yep. the championship. Amazingly though, and this is why this year is just so dramatic, yes. you would think he would never race again he misses two races. Stop it. Six weeks after that accident when the priest is giving him the last rights, he 
appears at the Milan Grand Prix, at the Italian Grand Prix, not to spectate but to race his Ferrari. Now, so little does Ferrari believe in him with fair reason because of how injured he is. They enter a third car, so they have two other drivers. So they sort of add him as a, like, we can't we'll let stop, you race. We'll let I you suppose race. we owe you. Nicky out-qualifies both his Ferrari teammates in qualifying and then races to the point where he comes fourth. And when he takes off his balaclava after the race, it's soaked in blood. All the wounds from his still healing burns had opened up <laughs> and he still races. Hunt says his race speaks for itself. To virtually step out of the grave and six weeks later to come fourth in a Grand Prix is a truly amazing achievement. And then they proceed to duel it out for the rest of the season. season. Um, Even though James has had some time with Nicky Way, they're both accumulating points. And because he's lost points in the earlier races that have been taken off him, it looks lost for him in the dying. There's three rounds left. He's off to Canada and then America. Sure. And the team sort of say, well, the championship's probably gone. Nicky's clinched it. You're not going to overcome all that. So you can have a little bit of fun in America and Canada. We'll let you off the leash a little bit. <laughs> in the first instance yeah, of lunacy yeah. that then yes. kicks off, um, in Canada, the McLaren mechanics are finding themselves in a difficult position where what happened is there's a private testing session yep. and there's a small crew of course marshals and safety officials in attendance, as sure. it often is, but not a crowd or anything. It's a private session. But several of them have brought their female companions to watch, right? Mm. One of them soon caught James's eye and in short order, he lured her into an ambulance parked behind the McLaren pit while the regular man in her life was watching the other driver prepare the race car. The McLaren mechanics are so horrified that this is happening. They engage the uh, guy in deep conversation so to, distract him. to try and distract him while in the background the ambulance is rocking vigorously. <laughs> the, all of a sudden the lights start up, so he horns doesn't, going. <laughs> so he gets away with it. They don't catch him. Honk if you're horny. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was just total like, so, so ah, this is what he's like. That is incredible. Now, apparently it worked. Now, James also was known he – incorporated vibrators very much into his sexual antics. He found them very useful. He talked about them all the time to the pit crew. Did the pit crew used to service them? Well, this is the thing. He used to give them to the mechanics to fix. (laughs) (laughs) They would go go. quickly. Like oh, in nine seconds? Yeah, yeah. Like, could you make this go faster? <laughs> Can you make so this go would, faster? He would often, to a rookie pit crew members, hand them a vibrator and go, I need you to fix this just to freak them out. Well, oh, By the way, welcome aboard. <laughs> Ferrari, none of this is going on at Ferrari. None of this is going out to any other team. Another time he found out one of the crew members working for them was a virgin. Yes. Uh, so James decides that the best way to fix this is to hire him a prostitute, right, for the night. Okay. It's one way of dealing with it. One yeah. way of dealing with it. Couldn't do this today. I think the correct term now is sex worker. James and this virgin crew member who is with her, they're in adjoining hotel rooms. In the morning, James meets the mechanic who's smiling his head off and is like, oh, you know, thank you. I've finally done what it. Not. James says, I'm awfully sorry, but after you went to sleep, I'm afraid I played with your present. <laughs> This is what James is like, right? Absolutely. He can't help himself. He can't help himself, right? The night before the Canadian Grand Prix, mm. 
James is drinking lots of beer and watching at the hotel. He's watching a, a woman front a band and she's performing downstairs in the, in the bar. And he approaches her and she accepted his invitation to join him at the table. And then he learns that she's got a half hour break between sets. They disappear to his room, come back. She gets up and sings again, comes back in the next interval. They disappear again. She comes back. And James is paralytic. And the team manager's sitting there and he said, normally I would have said, James, go to bed, stop it. But he's like, well, we've lost the championship yeah. anyway. Don't worry about it. Knock yourself out. Anyway, James is up all night with her, comes next day, wins the Canadian Grand Prix. <laughs> they then learn uh, that the Spanish disqualification, which has been appealed and appealed and appealed in the you know in the yes. background all year, has been overturned. Oh, and suddenly wow. James is the winner and that means he gets those points back. And suddenly, She's because he frame. wins in Canada and America, He's suddenly back in contention. Oh, here so we after go. they've let him go nuts for two weeks, there suddenly it all comes down to the final race in Japan. Yeah. So it's between only Nikki can win or James, yes. right? The only two that can win. McLaren smartly had booked the new. This is the first ever Tokyo Grand Prix at a new track. They'd booked that track because there was a two week break after the American Grand Prix. They'd booked it and had it all to themselves. So they were in wow. Tokyo two weeks before all the other teams, right? And so he's there, he's playing squash at the, because he loves squash at the hotel. To great delight, he discovers that the hotel was used for overnight stays by British Airways flight crews. So every morning he would greet (laughs) them, the stewardesses coming in, in the lobby, and advise them that there was an open house party that evening in his room. He said, I've got an open door policy. (laughs) I bet he Um, does. He said James had to devise a complex rotation system to accommodate them all. Another guest at the hotel was Barry Sheen, the British motorcycle world champion who was good friends with James. Yes. Sheen was also exactly the same, right? So he said, I got on really well with James because we had the same kind of daft mentality. So they just both like drinking, smoking and chasing women, right? It's said that in the two weeks leading up to this, they slept with 33 women together in this hotel. So this is like full, it's not preparing well. Pretty good game. They do get very serious about we need to beat Ferrari at this race. Sure. Because they'd been there, they're talking to the press and Caldwell, who's the team manager, for a laugh, they spread a rumour and when asked what the track's like, he said it's good but it's got a lot of loose gravel on it, which it didn't but he just said that. <laughs> it, that story goes through all the field that you better prepare for loose gravel because they're the only ones that have raced on it so yeah. far. McLaren make mechanics make mesh covers for all the intakes on the car to protect the brake ducts and the air intake, right? Yeah. Then Nicky Lauder, he comes down to their garage, which he always did. Yes. Always poking around because he's a true professional, yeah. unlike James. Yeah. And uh, he'd joke around. He came to see what he'd done with the cars and usually they would cover up the cars so he couldn't see them, but they left it off by mistake, alleged mistake, so Nicky could see the cars and then – the team manager called, well, when he sees Nikki looking at the car, goes, get these covers on the car. What are you doing? And Axel angry. So Nikki thinks, oh, something's going on here. And he rushes back to Ferrari's garage and says, Evan, hell, McLaren have put vents near their grills over every car. We've got to do the same. So the whole Ferrari organization comes to a stop <laughs> to find these grills and put them on all their cars, right? Yep. So they pull out onto the grid for the first qualifying and Nikki comes out and looks and all the grills are gone and goes, you effing bastards. 
And Ferrari had all these grills. So, so he says, we're winning the psychological battle before it's even started. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, because of the way it's set up, Hunt needed to finish third or better to overtake Lauda and Lauda needed to earn two points fewer than Hunt or better to stay ahead. Gotcha. So it's complicated then, but basically he's got to finish in the top three. Yeah. Then it rains. The day of the race it pours. A typhoon comes in from China and it is just raining to the point where you can barely see. Hunt's not enamored with the situation. He says it's too dangerous for raining. Nicky Lauda says we need to try and get this race postponed. It's just not safe enough. They start to argue about it, but at the same time, McLaren's saying to James, if you don't race, you can't win the world championship. Right. So this is what you have to do. So there, McLaren are trying to get the race to happen. So they're going into the pits and they're getting their mechanics to start the engines every half an hour to make it seem like something was happening. So all the other teams would quickly fire up their engines, even though it wasn't happening. (laughs) Then he said, I needed to try and get the Japanese crowd all fired up because they're just all sitting in the rain. They got out there and he went out and got some of their um, guys to grab a horn and fire the crowd up and they went back to the tower and they said to them, look, you'll have a ride on your hands. The crowd are going nuts if you don't get them to, you know, stop. So it finally happens. The race goes ahead. It's said that one of the co-founders of the Williams team walks in, biggest race ever for James Hunt and finds him having sex with a Japanese woman in the pit garage moments before the race. (laughs) Mario Andretti says that these are the worst conditions he's ever seen for a start of a motor race. Hunt said it was ridiculous. Approaching the first corner, there was a huge puddle and you had to brake. The main concern was the spray. This combined with the mist meant you couldn't see a thing. It was madness. Nicky Lauda, he does two laps. He's unable to blink because of his burn injuries properly. He can't see. He says his Ferrari is a paper boat in a storm. He rolls into the pit lane after two laps and says, I'm out. It's too dangerous. You can die. All that has to happen then is Hunt needs to win. He needs to stay on the track and come in the top three because Nicky's out. As he goes across the finish line, he doesn't know it. He's third, but he's read the boards wrong with all the rain and everything and thinks he's lost. What? So he gets out and starts remonstrating with his team furious (laughs) with them. (laughs) Before they finally convince him that he's now the world championship. So he's won. He's finally the world championship. He's only been in F1 for three years. And that promise he's made to his family years and years ago has finally come true. Now, Nicky's point of view is he could have said, look, I was injured in a terrible crash. I gave up because the rain was unsafe. The race shouldn't have been running. He's not. He totally says, James is one hell of a driver. I had the best car all season, but James was the better driver that year. He says, James was the only driver I've ever seen who had the vaguest idea about what it actually takes to be a racing driver. So Nicky Lauda is absolutely generous in defeat. He does say um, James was unbeatable when everything was perfect for him. He said he had his ups and downs because of his lifestyle. (laughs) If I could have organized for him to go to the bar the night before a race, I would have done. (laughs) (laughs) So they fly home and get so drunk on the flight home celebrating yes. that he has almost refused entry to a British embassy reception in his honour <laughs> upon return. Yeah, that's probably safe for the <laughs> ambassador's wife, I would imagine. Now, while all this is going on, he is having a, a strange time, right? Mm. He's world champion and you'd think he'd be happy, but if anything, it's like he's accomplished his goal now 
and the world kind of is not as fun for him anymore well, because no... he has no drive anymore in a way to achieve it. He has some interesting happens to him. He starts seeing a woman called Jane Burback, who is sort of a model and, and supermodel of the time, sure. of course. They had an interesting time. When they were first dating, he once fell into a trap where this woman came around, Alyssa Morian. Now, she has arrived at Hunt's Villa in Spain to interview him for a Dutch magazine. So he's yes. like, fine. So sitting beside her at the swimming pool, James thought it was slightly strange when she started to divest herself of her clothing. He says, of course, I forbade this. <laughs> he had dinner with her. And it turns out that Miss Morian, her assignment was she made love to famous men and then wrote about it in her magazine, which had a circulation of 200,000 followers. What a job description. So she said, James played hard to get, romping with his Alsatian dog, Oscar, talking about his many girlfriends, particularly Jane Burbeck. And then he took a bath and the interview continued with her on the loose seat while he took a bath. <laughs> and so That's finally good. she said he put his hand on my knee and began stroking my leg and then they hooked up. James found out later that he'd been had that this was going to be written up. Yes. They asked if he was upset. He said, no, good, very good. And he said, and I was on good form, but I'll have to wait to read my official rating in the magazine. The rating was positive. It said, he was so nice, very patient. He was very good indeed. There you go. Now, the next season, it all falls apart for James. Yeah. Like, like I said, he doesn't really like it. He does a bunch of weird stuff. He punches a marshal at one point when the marshal tries to stop him crossing a track. Okay. Um, after an accident and saving his life, but sure. he pu thinks he's grabbing him and punches him. He gets fined for that. At the Japan Grand Prix the next year, he doesn't attend the podium ceremony even though he made it because he's late for a plane, which is right. seen as very insulting to the Japanese. Rude. yes. His most notable moment is he goes to South Africa. Now, he's on the flight. He usually rides in economy because he likes to save money, but that was full as was business class, so he had to go first class. So there was this small group of first-class passengers and yes. a couple of them were dignified businessmen. One was the daughter of the De Beers family, which is the diamond The merchants, diamond family. And the pop singer Leapy Lee, who sang Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. Okay. Right? So James sees his on the, in first chart and goes, great, and gets drunk with him and says, let's sing to Miss De Beers, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. Mr. Lee's a lot. I don't think that's a good idea. So James sings it himself constantly on the flight to the point where when he lands, customs immediately pull him off the flight okay. and search his stuff. <laughs> Under South Africa's harsh decency laws, they find a copy of what they say is illegal material. It's Penthouse magazine. Oh, come right? on. They say to James, you're not allowed to have this. It's illegal in South Africa. He says that it's hardly likely to corrupt his mind given what he's experienced in life. They don't find this funny. He then says he needs it for business purposes. <laughs> they don't believe him. He shows them a six-page article that's about himself and Nicky Lauda. So they rip that out, give him that and take the rest. <laughs> he said it was real police state treatment and very rude to foreigners, but the country remains secure in my affections because the South African girls are terrific and I'm available. <laughs> that's his comment as well, it finishes. That's a win. In the 78 season... He experiences this moment where one of his closest friends, Ronnie Peterson, has a fatal crash in which James has to pull him out of yes. the crash and he passes away in hospital later on. And this just floors James. Suddenly the idea that this was 
no a safe occupation. Yeah. He was already world champion. Why did he want to do this? Yeah. In 79, he therefore leaves McLaren. He gets called back in to race for Wolf Racing, which is sold a bit like it's got some of the leftovers from Hesketh Racing. So he thinks, yeah. all right, well, maybe I'll do that for one more year. But in Monaco, is halfway around the track. He just pulls over, gets out and goes, that's it, no. I'm done. Because it just gets to him, right, at the time. He finally moves back to England. He marries a woman called Sarah Lomax, which has two kids. When visitors arrive at his house, they're greeted by Winston, who's an eccentric Jamaican man who calls James the boss. They met where Winston was the taxi driver. He was ferrying James to an appointment, which he was late. James urged him to speed up and Winston's apprehended by the police and loses <laughs> his driver's license, right? Yep. So James feels responsible and hires him to work as a gardener, chauffeur, chef, um, and just general fixture out of the house, right? Well done. Winston comes to the house each weekday and if there's no pressing task, which is almost always, goes upstairs and has a sleep. <laughs> and James doesn't mind at all. So he really just pays him to like hang out hang with around. him all the time, right? right? So that Winston, be, um, he becomes incredibly loyal to James. They become great mates. Um, James also has Humbert, an African grey parrot that hangs out with Oscar, his dog. Humbert learnt to say all sorts of inappropriate things. James gets into audition. This is while he's retired for a Christmas production of Treasure Island at the local theatre. Humbert disgraces himself in rehearsal. Instead of scoring the required lines, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, he starts shrieking, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and then in other swear words. <laughs> he then bites the piece out of the ear of the actor playing Long John Silver. <laughs> And repeatedly saws his costume and they'd say he's a disgrace and make James take him home. <laughs> oh, wow. In 87, James celebrates his 40th birthday. It's a lavish... All before his 40th birthday. Yeah, his wow. lavish gathering in Wimbledon. The guests include his parents, lots of his friends and celebrities. It's fancy dress themed of bird or beast. Joan Collins, at the height of her dynasty TV yes. fame, turns up dressed as a peacock. Hunter's dressed in a kilt and under it there was nothing but a three-foot-long salami sausage is attached. He's running around saying it, he's a racehorse put out to stud. <laughs> <laughs> the next day when he wakes up hungover, he discovers his dog Oscar has consumed half the sausage and says, thank God I wasn't wearing it. Oh, wow. So that marriage it finally ends. He's in financial trouble as well because he was Lloyds of London and they had some big financial losses yep. this is before they went broke. So he's broke. He's suffering severe depression. He decides to take up commentary. He gets paired with Murray Walker, the famous Murray Walker as commentary. Yes. Walker is absolutely annoyed that this has happened. So Murray yes. Walker's done two years commentating by himself. They so said, we're going to pair you with James Hunt. He said, when Jonathan Martin, who's the head of the BBC Sports, told me there were going to be two Grand Prix commentators and that the other one was going to be James Hunt, my immediate reaction was a mixture of concern and irritation. I wondered if the BBC was trying to ease me out of a job. I'd been doing alone quite happily for two years and I didn't want somebody else honing in on the act, particularly some bloody Grand Prix driver who knew nothing about commentating and particularly James Hunt. <laughs> so that's their starting <laughs> okay. relationship. Yeah. Murray Walker was the ultimate professional. Sharp three days before, learn every driver's stats, name. I interviewed him once. An yeah. incredible man. Yeah. yeah. And a He's, lovely guy. Uh, married for. Aficionado, proper, straight and, down and the middle. Married for 40 years, no issues, wasn't a big drinker, all that stuff. We sort all of know. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
Hunt would walk in minutes before the race, go, right, Murray, who's on pole? <laughs> Murray would not tell him. He was so furious with his unprofessional, he would not tell him. The first, they have a dress rehearsal of their partnership at a Formula 5000 race at Silverstone. So this wasn't even aired. Yeah. James makes barely ever con- any contributions, lied on the floor in the commentary booth the whole time watching a TV monitor with his leg, which had been injured in a skiing accident in a plastic cast being held up. He said it was a boring race. Murray passed him the microphone for a final comment and James said, what a load of rubbish. <laughs> At the first ever 1980 Monaco Grand Prix where they first commentate together, James appears, this is Murray Walker's recollection, yes. in a cut-down tattered jeans with a scruffy T-shirt, no shoes, his right leg in plaster cast for the ankle to the crutch. He sits down in his folding chair, puts his plaster cast in my lap, and I haven't mentioned that he also had a bottle of rosé in his hand which was been half consumed and off we went. And to my horror, when his bottle of rosé ran out, a BBC bloke appeared and gives him another one. <laughs> right? That's right. The producers give them one microphone to share so they don't talk over each other. Um, This creates enormous problems. In one occasion, Hunt wanted the microphone and went up to Walker, who had gone on longer than he thought he should, and grabbed him by the collar with Walker having a fist near to Hunt as they're both talking into the microphone about to punch on. On another occasion, Hunt grabbed the microphone cord and cracked it like a whip to yank it out of Walker's hand. Now, this is insane. They hated each other to start with, but then Hunt starts to clean up his life. He meets Helen Dyson, who's a waiter yes. in 1989. She's a waiter at a hamburger joint across the road from him. She's 18 years his junior. She didn't know who he was. Yep. So they meet and they start dating, and he's broke, even with his commentary gig. He's All he does is cycle around and sees his sons, and he hangs out with her, and they fall in love. And she basically cleans him up and he decides I've had enough. He he realizes yeah. he's on a hiding or nothing with the smoking. This and is the not going to end well. Yeah. So he gives it all up through sheer willpower, just stops it all altogether. Fantastic. So he comes back to commentary and Murray says he's broke, he's quit everything, and he's suddenly the loveliest bloke you've ever met. But he becomes incredibly popular with his forthright comments, right? At one point he said about Alain Prost, Prost has yet to take his fellow Frenchman René Arnoux who says, the reason I'm going so slow these days is that I'm used to turbo cars and these normally aspirated engine cars are a very different kettle of fish to drive. And all I can say to this is bullshit. <laughs> right? <laughs> of the Brazilian driver, Nelson Piquet, he said, the problem with Piquet is that he's never grown up. He's only racing for the money to keep his 45-metre yacht afloat. What I can't understand is why he doesn't drive faster just out of self-respect. Piquet was one of the few drivers who actually challenged him after these comments. Yes. And James said, and that was just Piquet being childish about me calling him childish. One would expect it from him. <laughs> His most memorable put-down was directed at the French driver, Jean-Pierre uh, Jarrier, who he said had a mental age of 10 and should be given a short suspension for four driving before adding, for being himself, he should receive a permanent suspension. <laughs> <laughs> On broadcast, he would often call him pig ignorant and f- a French wally. <laughs> this is gold. In 1993, on the morning of the 15th of June, Hunt was at home and the night before he'd been hanging out playing snooker with a friend and gone to bed. His friend came in in the morning to find him lying on the floor next to his bed. He'd never made it to bed and he suffered an enormous heart attack in his home in Wimbledon. 
and passed away. He had proposed the day before to Helen Dyson, his girlfriend. Murray Walker said, my wife phoned me at a function somewhere and said, brace yourself. I thought she was going to say something happened to my mother, Elsie, who was then 96, but she said James had died. And I said, James who? Because I was only with him only the night before and I thought James Hunt can't have died. He'd had a heart attack and was allegedly on his bed with his phone in his hand, presumably phoning for help. He said he was one of the loveliest men he'd ever met in the end. So he'd won there Murray early round. Nicky Lauder was absolutely grief-stricken. He said years before he'd warned Hunt to settle down for the sake of his health and he'd actually given money twice to Hunt to get him through his yep. tough times. Um, and he said the worst bit about it is he had cleaned up for three or four years before his lifestyle was perfect, not like before. Um, that was the sad bit about it. He said the death was a terrible shock to me. I was in contact with him after racing and he was broke and more or less finished. I met for him for lunch in London one day and told him, you get your act together or you will not survive. And then he did. At his funeral services, the pallbearer included his father Wallace, his brothers Tim, Peter, who they called Norman by now, and David and Bubbles Horsley was also there. He said even though he'd passed away, he didn't mind being remembered for his wild side. To make sure everyone had a good time at his funeral, he put £5,000 toward the wake in his will <laughs> and he wrote in invitations the invitations to the wake said it is james wish that you get pissed <laughs> sterling moss spoke at james hunt's memorial service in 1993 and he talked about the kind character he had but also what would prompt an 18 year old schoolboy to choose a career in a potentially lethal and hugely expensive sport when he knew nothing about it James Sterling Moss said was a total nonconformist who was a curious mixture of wit, intelligence and unparalleled stubbornness. Someone who stood firmly behind his actions and belief, right or wrong, he certainly provided food for thought and fuel for debate. Whatever else he may have been, James was not boring, never. And that has been proved by these podcasts. Incredible story, and for those very reasons, I will not be cleaning up my act <laughs> because that's what is bound to happen. For a guy who lived on the edge and partied hard and threw up before racing because he knew he was facing potential death to clean up your act and die <laughs> on the floor of your hotel well, room, the not, you couldn't have seen that coming. You know what I mean? No, and I, I think the key bit out of it, though, is, and a lot of people say this, is, He's such a weird character, complex. Mm. He could be nice. He could be pig-headed. Mm. The thing that gets lost often is just how good a driver he was. Yes. When they go back and examine all his stats and his finishes and everything, people now put him in like the top five drivers of all time. It's incredible. You know, he had this short career, but it was like it is impossible to convey just how famous and how big he was for those you know, brief moments. And that 76 World Championship is still beloved by any F1 yeah. thing. So just an amazing guy. I'm going now to find every picture I can <laughs> of James Hunt at every race, at every function, because I'm fascinated. Well done again, Titus O'Reilly. Thank you. That was a great, great story. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us at sportsbazaar.com. You can leave a message for us there. You can also get in touch with us through our social media and follow us and keep up to date. And if you're following us on Apple Podcasts, please go on and rate us. It lets people know about us and more people find us. Tell your friends. We want to share this nonsense with as many people as possible. And once again, thanks for listening.